Hey, I'm glad you're here. We're finishing our series this morning that we're just called, uh, thank you guys, just called The Cross Equals. But I want to point you to next week's, uh, thank you, I want to point you to next week's series that we're starting and just give you a little bit of information about that. Next week we're starting a new series called Overcomer. And here's what I just want to say. Man, this is going to be one of those series that is going to make a giant impact because we're going to talk about through the struggles and through the difficulties and through the challenges of life, how do you become an overcomer? How do you become that person God wants you to be? And how do you overcome those difficulties? And we're going to talk flat out real stuff. And so I'd love for you to be here. I'd also love for you to bring somebody with you, especially two weeks from today. Next week we'll start. Two weeks from today is going to be, man, anybody you know that's discouraged, anybody you know that's having a hard time, anybody you know that's struggling, invite them on that day. That's going to be a super, super big day for us to be together. So uh, join us there. Well, we're finishing our series this morning. We've called The Cross Equals, and I want to thank you for all the way that you served last week, invited last week. Dozens of people came to faith last week, and here's what I think is really, really awesome. I think we, we had nine people that checked on the card and said, I'm not ready to accept Jesus yet, but pray for me. Now that is a giant deal because that's a person who basically says, whether they know it or not, Jesus is working in my life, but I don't know what to do with it yet. Now, how many of you have ever been there? Have <laughs> you ever been there in your life? Jesus is working, but I'm not sure what to call it. Well, I'm going to tell you what God calls it is he calls it his love, and he calls it a person that's on their way to meeting him and on their way to being changed. So would you just give the Lord a great big hand this morning for all the work that he's doing in this county? All right, so I don't know if you um, have ever followed people who predict the future, uh, but uh, some pr future predictions are pretty funny, <laughs> if, you've ever, if you've ever read them. Uh, and uh, let me give you the first one here. In 1955, Variety Magazine said, rock and roll will be gone by summer. How many of you think that worked? <laughs> Did not fly. The internet will catastrophically collapse in 1996. Robert Metcalf in 95. How many of you connected to the internet today on your, on your, yeah, okay, all right, that didn't work. Here's another one, 1903. The horse is here to stay, but the automobile's only a fad. The president of Michigan Savings Bank to Henry Ford's lawyer, 19, how many of you drove here today? He didn't make it, did he? You don't even know if you drove here? How many of you drove here? Well, how'd you get here? Backstroke? What did you do? Float? Levitate? All right. Next Christmas, the iPod will be dead, finished, gone, Alan Sugar in 2005. How many of you got a, an eye something? Not eye yourself, you got an eye something. Okay, that didn't work either. 2012 marks the end of the world. Do you remember this? The ancient Mayan calendar. Ooh. How many of you are, have gone? Gotcha. So you can see these predictions about what the future is going to be like doesn't always work. And we've also made predictions sometimes of how the future is going to look. Now, I'm a sci-fi guy. I don't know why I like sci-fi, but I like sci-fi. I don't know. 
I don't know if I'm escaping reality. I don't know what I'm doing. But I like all the cheesy, corny, sci-fi, Star Trek, Star Wars, Star, your mama, Star, whatever. I like all, the, I like all that stuff. But so here's, let me show you a picture. All right. This is actually what some people think the future is going to look like. It's what happens is, is we explore strange places nobody's ever been to. We meet alien races that nobody's ever met before. And, and, uh, and then you kind of start to figure out how all the alien races can meet together. And there's, there's this drama about is there going to be conflict? Are we going to get together? Is one alien race going to take over another? Is everybody going to get along? And th- you know, that's kind of what's... Well, let's face it. That's what all sci-fi is. Every sci-fi movie and show is exactly the same, really. So I don't have to put any other pictures. But this is kind of what we've been told the future is going to look like. Now, maybe you remember this next one. Somebody predicted on Back to the Future 2 that this 2015 date, do you remember this? And October 21st, 2015, I mean, if you remember, Back to the Future 2 would be a really, really important date because that's the date when they went in time that they, they went forward in time that the uh, Chicago Cubs were finally going to win the World Series. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not, but October uh, this date last fall like really happened and Cubs didn't, right? <laughs> like it didn't work out. So predicting the future doesn't seem to work out for us. Uh, Doc Brown and Marty McFly can't predict the future. But I do want to show you this symbol. What does this symbol tell us about the future? It tells us that you and I have the potential and the opportunity to have a new future. Now, I want to just turn a little heavy for a minute, and I want to look at 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11, and and I want you to read along with me, just to yourself, follow with me. Or do you not know that wrongdoers will inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now watch this. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Here's what I love about this scripture. Like it covers a lot of turf. What I love about this scripture is it doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what you did. It doesn't matter what you did wrong. When you meet Jesus and you have a relationship with him, your sins are washed away, and the cross means you can have a brand new future. Now, that's very good news. If you grew up dysfunctional, if you grew up with a bad home, if you grew up with parents that divorced multiple times, if you grew up in an alcoholic or drug abusive or neglect or abandonment or you participated in all those things yourself, you can have a brand new future. You are not the result of your past. You are not an extension of your past. You are not doomed on this collision course to live out everything that was lived in or through you. That's what the cross means. You have a new future. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. So we've said in this series, the cross means you have a new mind. You have a new identity. You have a new relationship. You have a new you. And now we're going to end today and say you've got a new future. So what does that new future look like? Let's talk about that. 
It's not October 21st, 2015 when the Cubs win the World Series. So what does it look like? Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that Jesus lived the best life? Do you believe he lived the best life that a person could live? Do you believe that Jesus had the best character? He had the best integrity. He had uh, the best inner life. He was the most honest. Do you believe Jesus was, had the best compassion, that he had the best, he told the truth in the best way? He, he lived the most fulfilling life. Jesus had the best wisdom. He told the truth in the best way. He loved people in the best way. Do you believe all that's true? Do you believe that that's what happened to Jesus? Well, here's the thing. Jesus is what the new future looks like. The same Holy Spirit that was working on Jesus is working on you. And he's taking the power of Jesus' death on the cross and he's applying it to your life over and over and over and over and he keeps working on you and working on you and working on you because he's trying to make another Jesus. Now, not exactly, but he's trying to make you like Jesus. As much like Jesus as he can make you. God intends to wash you until you're clean. He intends to heal you until you're whole. He intends to strengthen you until you're strong. He intends to teach you until you understand. He intends to help you until you become like Jesus. So let's look at that in Scripture in 2 Corinthians 3. And if you've got something to circle, you might want to circle a couple of these words. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory. Now watch this. Are being transformed into what? Into his, circle that word, image. We are being transformed into his image. God is at work changing us with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. Who is, who is what? Where does the increasing glory come from? Look at the scripture. Where does increasing glory come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. That's very, very important to everything I'm going to say today. Increasing glory comes from the Holy Spirit. Transformation comes by the resource of the cross but through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is bringing that to us. So when you begin a relationship with God, he begins transforming you into his image and he's making you like Jesus. God is transforming you to make you like Jesus. So if you've got something to write with, let me give you a, a few quick thoughts. What does that transformation into that new future look like? If I'm going through the tunnel, I go in the tunnel like me and I come out the other side like Jesus. What does that transformation look like? Here's... Three things. Number one, it looks like a relationship. Now, I don't know how, I don't know when, I haven't done the research, I haven't done the study. I don't know, I don't know where this comes from. But somehow or another for generations, we have, we have wrongly defined or in an in a unbalanced way defined Christianity and a relationship with God about being forgiven and about going to heaven and about not going to hell. Now, all three of those are true. When I come to faith in Christ, I am forgiven, I am going to heaven, I am not going to hell. All those are true. But somehow we've missed 
the point. Somehow we've missed the big idea. Somehow we've missed the heart of God and what it is all actually about. I remember when I was a young Christian, I just thought that, I thought that God, because of this theology, he, he saved you. Like you punched your ticket, you did the deal, you got on the train, whatever it was, and you're done. You're good. Work the rest out by yourself. Work out your own salvation, we hear the scripture, with fear and trembling. Work it out by yourself. You're alone. God did his part. He died for you. He saved you. You know, now, you, now you're kind of up to you. The spiritual part is what God does. That's for church. That's for the Bible. You know, usually it's for women. It's not for men so much. Uh, it's not for Monday to Saturday. It's not for hobbies. It's not for entertainment. It's not for off time. It's not for the movies you watch. It's not for entertainment. It's not for your job. It's not, it's not for uh, marriage. It's not for when you fight at home. It's not for any of that stuff. It's for Sunday at, at whatever the golden hour is. That's what it is. He saved you. You're going to heaven. Now, now you're on your own. That's how it, that's how it feels too often. And, and so we kind of get that idea that you did the deal now, now the rest is up to you. But here's the thing I want you to see this morning. The best part is the relationship. The best part is not becoming a Christian. The best part is not even... Now, it's glorious. It's washing. It's cleaning. It's, it's taking great baggage off your shoulders. And you feel the guilt leave. You feel the nastiness leave. You feel the dirt leave. You feel all the things you've ever done wrong. The weight of the world comes off you. It is a glorious moment. But it is not the best part. The best part's the relationship. The best part's the time that you walk with God. That's what I'm saying the new future is. The cross gives you a new future. The cross doesn't give you a way out of hell. The cross gives you a fulfilling relationship with the creator of the universe. That's the new future. It's a relationship with God. John 14, this is what I said earlier in 1 Corinthians 3 that was important. That you understand the Spirit is the one that brings the glory of God, the power of the cross to you. John 14, 15 through 17. If you love me, keep my commands. Watch this. And I will ask the Father. This is Jesus talking. I will ask the Father. If you're going to, let me give you some things to circle. And he will give you another advocate. Circle that word advocate. The advocate is, you know what an advocate is? Is a helper. I will give you the Holy Spirit to help you. And circle this. Be with you. He will help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you. And he lives in you. Circle those two. With and in. He lives with you and he lives in you. Everything God has done in the entire world. We prayed it this morning. He who began a good work in you will finish it. Since the creation of time. Since the fall of Adam and Eve. For thousands of years and centuries and centuries. God has been working on one thing more than everything else. He's been trying to get closer to you. That's what he's been working on. That's what he's been laboring for. Everything he does has one goal in mind. To make the relationship between you and him better. Okay, he sent Jesus to prove he loved us. Jesus lived a perfect life. He died. He gave the ultimate sacrifice on the cross. 
Jesus died to wash the sin away that separated us from God. Jesus went to heaven so he could intercede for you and me. And then the other reason he went to heaven is because the Holy Spirit couldn't come as long as he was there. So when he went to heaven, the Holy Spirit now came to earth so he could be. Jesus could only be in one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be everywhere all the time. And so now the Spirit, remember those two words, is with you and in you. The cross means a new future, and that new future looks like a relationship where God is with you all the time, and he is in you. If you are a believer, if you have a relationship with Jesus, he is in you, and he is with you all the time. Now, now that's, that's an incredible thought. Everything God has done is to move closer to you. He's actually moved in. <laughs> you ever have a relative stay too long? You know, I think they moved in. They're not on vacation. They moved in. This is what God always wanted. He doesn't want to visit. He doesn't want to see you at church. He wants to move in. He wants to live, live with you. That's been the whole deal from the very beginning. Why? So, so he's going to live with you. He's going to live in you. Why does God keep transforming us? Think about this for a minute. Does God keep, tra- is God like one of those crazy perfectionists that every time you turn a coaster on the coffee table, they turn it back the other way and go, okay, leave it like that. You know what I'm saying? Is that who God is? Is God working on you because it bugs him that you're not perfect? Is God working on you because it frustrates him? He looks at you and goes, oh, my, 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 my. Now that one, ah. Uh. That one, we're going to, oh, just wait till I get a hold of, I can't wait till that one gets to heaven so this will be over. Is that God? What motive would God have for transforming you into the image of his son? The Bible says the father and the son are one. Not in heaven. In his human form. Think about it. Jesus said in his human body while he was on earth, the Father and I, I and the Father are one, and I wish that you and I and he were one as the Father and I are one. Why does God, why does God care or want you to be like him? Because it's the last way he can get closer. You can't have oneness, you can't have unity, complete unity, you can't have complete agreement with God in the form that we're in. <laughs> we have to get, we, God's not going to change, he's perfect. We have to keep becoming like him and the more we become like him, the more we get closer to him. That's what he wanted. Uh, I, I was thinking about um, the words that the Bible gives us for the person of the Holy Spirit. And what those words tell us about God's intention of having a relationship with us. Listen to the titles. Listen to the names that we hear in the Bible for the Holy Spirit. And just you just try to reason out. What's God trying to tell me about the transforming work of the Holy Spirit by what he calls the Spirit? Here's the names. Comforter. Counselor. Helper. A one who convicts of sin, guide, 
intercessor, revealer of truth, spirit of life, teacher. He wants to talk to you. He wants to be with you. He wants to teach you. He wants to fill you and change you and heal you. Now, the best way I know for that to happen, uh, probably the greatest relationship-building tool that God has given us is prayer. Conversation with Him. So I suppose there's some level of skill that you can acquire in prayer, but it makes me even nervous to say that out loud. Because when we think about acquiring some skill in prayer, we almost always start at the wrong place. We start at the external. We start with how someone sounds when they're praying. We start with how impressive their prayer is when other so we measure a person's effectiveness in prayer by how impressive it is when we hear it. Do you realize it's possible to be highly impressive in prayer and completely ineffective at it? It's possible to sound real good and not be praying real good. And so I, I just wanted to show you the difference this morning. I, this isn't scientific. This is my own thoughts. I want to show you the difference this morning between in, uh, impression and intimacy. Think about the, the principles that work in relationships. So look at these together. Impression is worried about image. Impression is worried about image. How do I look? How do I sound? Intimacy is concerned about authenticity. Is this real? Is this me? Am I saying the real thing? Am I saying what I'm really thinking? Because God knows everything I think anyway. Am I, am I being real? Impression concerns about following the rules. Oh, I don't want to get the fork and the knife backwards and I want to get everything right and I want to follow the rules. Intimacy is worried about connection to the heart. Impressions test drive. Hey, this is just a formal dinner. I just want to put the right foot forward. Intimacy, intimacy says trust. What do you want in a relationship? Do you want, do you want a test drive or do you want trust? You want trust. This is a relationship. Uh, uh, impression is self-focused. How do I look? How do I sound? What impression do you think I left? Did I do a good job? You don't even remember their name because you were focused on trying to right, say the right thing. What was their name? What were you focused on? Self. Intimacy is focused on the other person, external and internal. I, I learned relationship with God as, uh, while I worked in a hospital. I didn't have the money to go off to college uh, at, when I graduated, so I had to stay home and work for a while, and I worked at this giant hospital. There were 32 miles of hallways in the hospital, and the reason that I know that is because the department that I worked in, I walked all of them. Every one of them. I'd walk patients to the room, to the treatment area, and back. And I went on every inch of that campus eventually. And when I would walk to the patient's room, I was alone. I was alone a lot. I had to park four blocks away and walk to the hospital. I had to go to the hospital and walk to the room. And then walk to the treatment area. Walk here, walk there. And as I walked, something interesting happened. I just had a lot of time alone. And so I would just pray. But the thing is, though, I didn't know how to pray. Because <laughs> nobody ever taught me how. Nobody ever taught me how to pray. I didn't know how to pray. You know, everything was very formal and uh, repetitive, and I, I didn't understand. So I just, over months, talked to God when I was alone. As it turns out, 20-something years later, I look back and realize that's where I learned to pray. You learn to pray by, by doing it. 
You learn to pray by talking to God. You learn to pray. And so I would talk and I would listen. And I would talk and I would listen. And I, would, I got better at hearing. I would hear better. And I would sense better. And I would discern better. And I would follow better. And I would think there were some things God was leading me to do and he wasn't. And I was able to figure that out. Because it, it was a relationship that just unpacked over time. And then when I went off to college, I finally got to go to college. I, I, don't, I don't know how this idea came in my mind, but the Holy Spirit must just led me. I just set an appointment. All right, I'm going to go to class. I'm going to eat lunch. I'm going to go to chapel. I'm going to do what i got to do. And after my last class, the first thing I'm going to do every day is I'm going to go to the prayer chapel and I'm going to pray. Because I heard this statistic that the average pastor in America prays 10 minutes a day. And it horrified me. And I went... That is not what I signed up for. I don't, I, I don't want to be a prayerless pastor. And the truth is, I didn't know how to pray, and, and unfortunately, uh, Bible school doesn't always teach you. So you learn a lot of theology. <laughs> might not learn a lot about prayer. As it turns out, I need prayer at least as much as I need theology. And so I, I went to the prayer chapel. I would take my wallet out. I would take my keys out. I would take the things that I owned. and he, I, It was just a little goofy thing that I did, but I would lay all that on the pew and I would say, okay God, here I am. I own nothing, I have nothing, I have nothing to bring, I remove every earthly separation between me and you, I just want to be with you. And it was just a way to, to help my mind do that. And I would walk around that prayer chapel and I'd walk around, I'd walk around. and you know what, when I look back I realize that's where I learned to pray. Christianity and this future is about a relationship. Here's the second thing. It's also about a partnership. God's work is always incarnational. So here's what that word incarnational means. It's just a, the a theological word that, that means that it's part God and part you. So when Jesus came to earth, was Jesus God or was Jesus man? Was he human or was he God? The answer is yes. Right? He was both. He was God and he was man. And as it turns out... In Jesus' own combination, we learn a huge amount about, the, about, about our relationship with God. We learn a huge amount about how Christianity works and everything else works in the kingdom of God. So worship this morning. When we worship, is, is worship God or is worship us? It's both. Like when we worship, we're worshiping, we're singing, we're lifting our hands. The reason the worship team says, hey, hey, lift your hands here. Sing this with me. Say this with me. Pray with me. Because we are, we are picking up on the, the call of God to say, hey, come worship me. Come be with me. Come hear me. Come encounter me. Come be refreshed in my presence. We are actually echoing. So what are we doing? We are participating with him. Worship's not just, you don't just go, well... I think I'll sing today. It's all by myself. No, there's a God and he's in the room. And worship's incarnational. What about preaching? Is preaching incarnational? Did I just say, here's some good stuff. I found this on a fortune cookie and I thought you'd love it. Here it is. Have fun with it. Is preaching just good ideas? But check this out. What if I stayed home today? Would God show up in my place and do this? No. Because it's part me and it's part him. That's incarnational. What about reaching out? What about you say, ooh, ooh, there's that person I've been working with and I've been wanting to invite them to church or I've been wanting to share you know, my faith with them or I've been wanting to tell them I've been praying for them. Where did that urge come from? Is that all you or is that God in you? It's God, but God won't do it without you. I noticed God didn't invite one person to church at Easter. Not that they could hear physically, but he will do it with you. 
That's incarnational. What about prayer? Prayer's the same way. What about speaking in tongues? Is speaking in tongues you or God? Yes. It's both. It's incarnational. Another word for incarnational is partnership. Living this new future, becoming like Jesus, it's part you and it's part him. God won't do it without you and you can't do it without him. Now, I think one of the most confusing parts about the incarnational idea is which part is his and which part is mine. I notice I usually get it backwards. Anybody else? I usually try to do what God's supposed to do, and I sit around and wait for him to do what he wants me to do. Anybody else have that problem? Just me? Anybody else awake? Yes? I have that problem. I constantly trying to fit in the square. The Holy Spirit's trying to fit in and go, no, this is my part. He goes, sit down. Then I'm sitting down going, God, when are you going to do this? When are you going to do this? He goes, I've been waiting on you. When are you going to do it? And that's, that's the part that's complicated in our faith. God won't do it without you, and you can't do it without him. So 1 Peter, 2 Peter 1, 3-5 is an interesting verse. I have used this scripture in my life for years, particularly the first five or ten years of my Christian walk. I claim this verse over and over and over and over. And I'm going to give you a jewel in the kingdom that you can use to confess and claim again and again and again and again about the power of what Jesus did on the cross and how it's for you. Here it is. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness Jesus, death on the cross, has given you everything you need to live a godly life. So no matter what your childhood was, no matter what your pain is, no matter what your dysfunction was, no matter what your sin is, no matter where you came from is, what you've got to claim is that scripture is true and your experience is not. It doesn't mean it wasn't real. It doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just means your past is not your future. Your future is here. And and the Bible says God gave you everything you need to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Through these, he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may, what's this key word? Participate in the divine nature. Look at verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And there's a whole list there, goodness and knowledge and all these things. To add to your faith. That is a fabulous and fascinating phrase. Add to your faith. Whose job is it to provide the power? God's. Whose job is it to add to your faith? Yes, it's yours and it's mine. Now look, you and I live in a time of, of unlimited access to knowledge. I want to take a poll real quick. Like I've Googled all kind of stuff. Anything that comes across my mind, I just Google it. I just want to know. Have you ever Googled anything and there was nothing there? Have you ever Googled any subject and the page was blank? Sorry, we don't know anything about that. No. We have unlimited access to knowledge. You can Google anything. I'm amazed at the things that people know. People can, there are people in the world that can recognize thousands of models of cars by the taillights and the shape of the fin and the bumper and, the, and this and that and the other. Technology, people that know intricate intricacies of technology and moving parts and 
and how things move across the internet. People that know batting averages and sports stats from the last hundred years. I'd be watching a game and you got kids who know the name of every player on the field and every team in the NFL and the NBA and Major League Baseball. People who know unlimited amounts about the economy and uh, every outlet store and mall within a hundred mile drive. Hobbies and movies and directors and actors and producers and people that have skills and abilities and things we teach our children and things we teach them to manage and the the, the way we teach them to do, we teach them to manage time and money and relationships and homework and chores and this and that and the other, play sports and how to set up the DVR to record all your favorite shows. We live in a bank of knowledge that's unbelievable. We have added so much to our knowledge. The question I have for you this morning is, what have you added to your faith? Add to your faith. Do you know the deeper meaning of the great stories of the Bible? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to read the Bible? Do you know how to worship? Do you know how to grow in wisdom? Do you know how to share your testimony? Do you know how to grow your character? Do you know how God uses spiritual gifts and how he wants to use them in you? Do you know what gifts God has given you? Do you know what he wants you to do with them? Do you know what God says about money and resources and management and eternity and time and heaven? Do you understand covenant relationships and the healing power of Christian community. What have you added to your faith? Your This cross means you have a new future, but that new future is partnership. That new future is a partnership, and we add things to our faith, and we can't do it by ourselves. We have to have help. We can't do it alone. So, do you think that God can sort of help you do every part? Do you think God's just going to work on one part? Or do you think God's going to work on the whole thing? God's going to work on the whole thing. You know why? To get you and I like Jesus, he can't just work on what we do at church. And he can't just work on what we do at work. And he can't just work on what we do at home. And he can't just work on the kind of person we are when the lights go out at night and we're lying there reflecting on everything we did and thought that day. He's got to work on everything. And, and we struggle with that because we're all blind somewhere. So the hyper-Pentecostal here this morning might tend to say, listen, the Bible says that the Spirit of God will lead me into all truth. So, so uh, the Spirit's going to tell me everything I need to know. That would be perfect if you had perfect hearing. But you don't have perfect hearing. The hyper-Bible reader here might say, hey, I'm going to read the Bible. The Bible's the the authoritative, inspired word of God. I'm going to read the Bible cover to cover. The Bible's going to tell me everything I need to know. That would work out perfectly if you had perfect sight, but you don't. You will read it, and you won't see everything. So, So what am I saying? I'm saying that God's plan to apply the power of the cross comes through the Holy Spirit in the Bible, but it also comes through Christian community. You cannot do this journey by yourself because you cannot perfectly see and you cannot perfectly hear and neither can I. We have to have people that say, have you considered what the cross means about this part of your life? Thought about that? I never thought about that. Never thought about it. That's why in the last few years we've done so much work 
to talk about life groups and life streams that just started again today upstairs. People are there now uh, preparing to receive that teaching and sense of relational community to say, I can't do this by myself. I need the full power of the body of Jesus. Here's the last one. What does that transformation look like? Looks like a relationship, looks like a partnership. It looks like a life, this is, this is going to go, I didn't think you were going to say that. It looks like a life of rest. Whew, that's nice. I need some rest. <laughs> How many of you need some rest? Need some rest. You said spring break, what did you do? <laughs> well, most, most of us worked. Need some rest. Our faith should not be a source of fear or worry or anxiety or insecurity. If your faith or the way you're practicing it or the people you're practicing it with produces fear and worry and anxiety, it is not healthy. It is not whole. It is legalistic and religious and guilt-driven and harmful. Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's why I love this verse. I love this verse because it tells me that God is working. When we're distracted, God's working. When we sin, God's working. When we get discouraged, He works. When we sleep, He works. When we give up, He works. When we quit, He works. <laughs> he won't ever quit. And this is what the cross means. Listen, listen. This is what the cross means. He's the best finisher that ever lived. He didn't quit on the cross, and He's not going to quit on you. He's going to keep working. Come on, give him a hand. He's going to keep working. So what do you and I do? Rest. That should produce great rest in you. It should produce great confidence. It should, it should make you realize this is a relationship. It is a partnership. I have a part. But I just got a part. Like the main thing is not up to me. It's up to him. And by the way, he won't quit. He's doing it. So today, I rest. Thank you, God, that you won't quit and you won't give up. And your intention is to finish the work that you started in me. That's his intention. Now, that's great news. I, 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 a couple years ago, a friend gave me a scripture and asked me, what do, you, what do you see in this scripture? What do you hear? And one of the things that I heard uh, was rest. And so for, for a year and a half, probably now, when I pray, I, my, my personality is not wired uh, toward great rest. I want to work. I want to go. I want to do. And so as I pray for a year and a half, one of my prayers and one of my exercises that I've been doing, that I've been adding to my faith, because it's not in my personality, is as I pray, I'll say, God, today I rest in you. 
because you did it, you finished it, you completed it, you started it. Before I was awake, you were awake. Before I got up and started working on all this, you started working on all this. And when I'm done, you're going to keep working. And so today, I rest securely and confidently and safely knowing that you won't stop. Thank God. It's not all up to you. It's not all up to you. Thank God it's not all up to you. It's not all up to me. And rest. Rest. Your faith should produce rest. You know one of the things Jesus said is earth. They were, they were getting mad at him because he was working on the Sabbath. He said, well, you're talking about working on the Sabbath. I am the Sabbath. I'm the Sabbath rest. Jesus' presence, Jesus' person, Jesus' being is the Sabbath. To encounter Jesus is to encounter the Sabbath. He is your spiritual rest. We work and we run and we rush and we wrangle and we, we try and we wear ourselves out and part of it is because we don't understand that the future that Jesus died to give us was a life of rest spiritual rest so would you stand with me this morning and I want to ask the prayer team to come and I just want to ask you to close your eyes and, and, I, and I want you to get in a spot that you're um, that you could just be comfortable for a minute and would you would you just remember would you with your eyes closed would you think back to the day that you became a Christian would you think back to that day what was what was happening what brought you to that moment what brought you to that point you know what was going on around you what did you feel what did you hear just just go back to that moment the same God that was there that day is here today. The same God that met you there is meeting you now. And the same God that started a work on that day will finish it. The day you started a relationship with God, something significant happened. You, you recognized that you needed God I wonder if you if you realize that today because you need God as much today as you needed him then do you recognize your need God is still working God is still here God is still present and 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 we need him as much today as we ever have so here's what I want to pray with you about if you're here this morning and you say man I need God to finish some things in my life there's some struggles there's some challenges there's some issues there's some deals going on and if I'm honest I need God to finish some stuff would you lift your hand and say that's me today I need God to finish some stuff yeah thank you yeah 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 I need God to finish some stuff yes I need God to finish some stuff man hey I got great truth and great news for you he started he's the best finisher there ever was maybe you're here today and you say you know what I need God to start some things I need God to start some stuff in my life I need some new things to start I, maybe you're here and you're, you're away from you don't know God you're not, maybe not even a believer or maybe you haven't been close to God in a long time you say I, I need God to start start with me again start over again would you lift your hand and say that's me and I need God to start over with me again 
Did you lift your hand? Yeah, I saw it. Thank you. Yeah, I see it. Yeah. The balcony? Yeah, thank you. I need God to start over with me. Man, I, I, I want to pray for you. And as I do, I want you to come. I want you to come and, and take a step of agreement. And, and as you come, here's what I want you to say. God, you're the best finisher that there ever was. God, there's a best finisher that ever, that ever was. I take a step of faith this morning toward you, and I'm believing you that you're going to finish. And when you come to the prayer team, this is a great group of folks that just want to pray with you. And what they're going to do is they're going to come into a great. Remember what I said? You can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. So today it stops. Doing it alone stops today. Taking a step stops that today. I'm going to step out, and I'm going to say, God, you're a finisher. I'm not going to do it alone. Lord, I thank you today for your grace and presence in this place. And Lord, I ask you right now, as we take a step toward finishing, Lord, I pray that you would meet us in this moment and you would change and transform and renew and your glory would fill this house. As we're praying right now, would you come? Come right now. You lifted your hand. I want you to come right now. Come right now. Come right now. Take a step and say, by faith, Lord, you're the best finisher. By faith, you're the best finisher. By faith, I proclaim today that you are a finisher. We're just going to pray with you. We're just going to pray with you. Lord, by faith, I declare that you are a finisher. You will finish what you started in me. I'm telling you, as you move, you will, you will find freedom. As you move, the burden will start to drop. As you move, the pain will start to melt away. As you step, things will start to change. God, you are a finisher. You're a good, good father. And you're a good finisher. And I love you today. I love you today. Sing that through, worship team. Let's sing that through one time.